Titus O'Reilly here, once again annoying you with our shameless plug for Bazaar, plus our membership program, More Mick and Me. Simply go to the link in the show notes. It's Sports Bazaar. I'm going to kick back and enjoy this. Some of these stories you would say that cannot be true. The hunt for the weirdest. It's a real rollercoaster ride, this one, isn't it? <laughs> it makes Game of Thrones look like a sitcom. <laughs> Strangers. Hey, he's on another level. What are you doing? There's a lot of our stories that start with someone <laughs> fleeing moneylenders. Most unbelievable. This is a car crash. Stories to ever occur. Let's stop this right now. <laughs> it's just carnage. That is the densest bit of mayhem. So many <laughs> subplots in this story. In the world of sport. I think we're learning that embarrassment is not something. Sports Bazaar. A naked fan ran onto the field and slid into second base. You know, I don't drink water. I cannot stand drinking water. I am the president of everybody. I am the president of the whole FIFA. <laughs> Opened his mouth and a sparrow flew out. It's time for the leaders of the hunt. It's really simple. Get there early, get the good back. It's Titus O'Reilly. And Mick Malloy. Welcome to the latest edition of Sports Bazaar with my good self, Mick Malloy. And Titus O'Reilly, what have you been doing? Where are we going? What sport have you chosen first? It's the Olympics. Okay. So we visited the Olympics before. We've done this early days Olympics. We did the... The origin of the modern Olympics. Yeah, we did Paris Olympics with the ballooning. Wow. Well worth going back and listening to. The American one. 904 St. Louis Marathon. That got bent out of shape. (laughs) Very quickly. Very what terrible. Was, what was the native games or the gardens? Oh, they had the savage games where the they savage they, games. The, the wow. white guys pitched various indigenous groups against each other. It was um, fascinating. Before it was very politically incorrect time. Hasn't stood the test at all. It is really. not. It does not stand up. So the Olympics has never let us down. I'm Always interesting, but yeah. the Olympics. So we're going to go to the 1932 Los Angeles games. Okay. Now we're going to really talk about how one team got to them. Sure. Is going to be the majority of our focus of this Spin one. Spin the globe. Which team are we talking We're about? We're talking about Brazil. You've been to Brazil. You love Brazil. I have been to Brazil. I went there for a World Cup and it was amazing. <laughs> I've never seen anything like it. Pretty laissez-faire. Pretty loosey-goosey. <laughs> As I think I mentioned on a previous episode, I did catch a cab where the guy had an actual TV perched on the dashboard so he could watch the game while he drove. Yeah. And I'm not talking about a phone mounted. He had a TV <laughs> on the dashboard of his car. Uh, it was astonishing. It's amazing. So it's an amazing place. So the 1932 LA games, 1904 and 1908 games in Paris and St. Louis, Yes, they were known as sort of these disastrous games where the Olympic movement sure. almost died. They were just so badly run. But by the time you get into 932, it's still not the huge thing it is now. But is it recognisable? It's as getting more Because those first two went for like six eight months Yeah, or they were just an absolute they? mess. They just all over the shop. Yeah, a But do mess. we have the essential form of the Olympics? It's starting to get into the normal form. You're saying it. I mean, over the 20th century, keep adding little bits that you yeah. recognise now. But it runs for a couple of weeks. It doesn't run yeah. in for six months. It's not linked to the World Fair by this stage. It had been, before the 1932 Olympics, it had been four years before in Amsterdam and gone very well. And so it started to be seen as a a reputable 
thing, the Olympics. And a coveted event for a cities. Coveted, They're going, well, this could be good for us. It sort of is, although it's still not like it is. So the actual selection for the 932 Summer Olympics, it was made in Rome, Italy on the 9th of April, 1923. And the date's important. So 923, the world's going great. The World War One is over. Yeah. This is the booming 20s. Bit of optimism around. A lot of optimism. Yeah. Things are going well. The only city that bids, though, for the Olympics is Los Angeles. So at this there point, it's they, not, win. they win. So they win by default. And this is not seen as a great thing by the people who run the Olympics because at this point, you've got to remember, Los Angeles at this point is seen as like a hick town. Like really? no one knows about it. They know a little bit about Hollywood because this thing, the movies is starting to emerge a little bit, but it's the early days you've got to remember. We're talking 23 or 32 now. 23, 9, 23. 23. So like, that is early doors. It's very early doors yeah. when they decide to award it. The guy who's in charge of it is a real estate entrepreneur, the LA Bid. He's the one that goes over and wins it for LA. His name's William May Garland, and he's a real estate uh, entrepreneur who basically builds the city of yeah. Los Angeles into what it's become. And he sees the Olympics as the perfect plot time to put LA on the map. Showcase to the world. Reinvigorate it, everything. a destination. Which it actually does do, but yeah. it, this is like why he's over there. He goes and sees the Pope as part of his lobbying while he's in Rome. <laughs> okay. <laughs> to give you an idea of how little LA is known at the time, he is talking to an IOC delegate at one point before the vote. Now, there's yeah. only them, but he's still lobbying. And he gets asked by the IOC delegate, if Los Angeles is anywhere near Hollywood. So this is how little people know of, oh, of yeah, uh, in, the, in the 20s. Garland says, yeah, it's a suburb of Hollywood to win the guy over. <laughs> and the guy goes, well, you'll get my vote because I've always wanted to see where these new movies are made. There it is. So this is where they're going. So this goes there. So that's 923. It's fantastic for LA. They've got it. Then the problem is, though, between 923 and 1932, the Great Depression occurs. All right, things get tough So suddenly there's no money. And this suddenly means that they've got to both deliver the games, but the other problem is sending a team to the games is incredibly expensive exercise at a time where countries can't afford it. Countries are going... Did they ever consider not doing it? They always pressed ahead, but they had to come up with ways to encourage people to come. And you've got to remember... Los Angeles, this is before flight, commercial flights. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to get to LA. Yeah, West Coast. It's not like now where you can, you know, jump on a plane. It's like hard. So they all thought, well, how do we do this? What a lot of the countries did is they trimmed the size of their team. China, who at the time had a population of 400 million, sent one sprinter. So they, one, we can afford to send one person to the Olympics. One sprinter and, and 20 table tennis players <laughs> if I know China. Haiti, Uruguay, Egypt, they also just sent one person. So, you know, they're all sort so of... So it's like once. a token representation. Yeah, really, they just can't... It? They literally, countries... Can, the can't. Great Depression was so big that people just literally countries... It sounds funny to us, but they just didn't have the money to send. It was like, we can't afford this. LA decide that they need to make things as easy as possible for people to get there. So for the first time ever, they create an athlete's village, which is now synonymous with Olympics. People coming there didn't need to pay for hotels. So they were literally saving money for people. Yeah. So they would house male athletes for $2 a day at the Olympics. He's a real estate agent, right? Yeah. He's probably getting some kind of... Yeah, well, I think they sold it all on afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, let's develop this for the athletes. and And then we'll sell it on. And they were doing a lot of that sort of stuff. The city negotiated a 20% discount with major steamships for athletes coming from the, across the Atlantic from Europe. There you go. 
They got a 50% discount on railway tickets for American athletes coming by train. So they were doing that. They also decided that there was a lot of these venues like the Olympic Village that they could use afterwards for the city. So one of them was the Elysian Park shooting range was kept to train the LAPD. (laughs) See, now this is smart and resourceful. You're left with something that you previously didn't. Yeah, and that that wonderful agency, the LAPD, never had problems since. (laughs) Um, Despite all this, only 1,332 athletes came. This is down by over half from the four years prior. Only 37 nations send athletes. 46 came to the ones before. But those that did come had to find innovative ways to get there. The... Indians, they were very keen to send their field hockey side because they'd won gold yes. in 928 and were expected to win again. So they tried to raise money and a journalist who was representing the Indian Hockey Federation approached Mahatma Gandhi and said, would you issue an appeal to the masses to call for money to fund and send this hockey team over? Gandhi said, what's hockey? <laughs> And didn't help. I like the way they go to like the Pope and Gandhi. Gandhi you know, yeah, like yeah. Everyone's pulling out the big guns here, <laughs> aren't right. they? The Indian team got there by agreeing to play some exhibition matches in Europe on the way home. That was how they were going to earn the money. Americans had a tough time. One, this it's is in how America. Bad, yeah, but this is how bad the depression was. Club swinging was included as a sport. Now, club swinging, you might go, what is it? I don't know. It's part of the gymnastics program. It involves the competitor standing upright with a club in each hand so they sort of look like a juggling juggling it's the old juggling. but there's just two and instead of juggling the clubs don't leave your hands what you do is you then whirl and swing around very quickly the clubs around your body in a variety of patterns and complicated routines all like while not moving your feet it's more commonly known as piss farting about <laughs> okay i think that's what we're talking about here so this that was included this is a sport right and judges award points based on the routine. So this is like a ridiculous. The second most pointless gymnastic routine behind the ribbon. Twirl around and keep the ribbon in there. Yeah, air. yeah. Come on. <laughs> now, seriously, that's not a thing. <laughs> that's not a thing. You're just twirling. The winner in the gold medal in club swinging, which doesn't remain an Olympic sport, shock yeah. horror, was a guy called George Roth. Now, to show you what it was like in the Great Depression, he was unemployed and nearly starving in the middle of the Great Depression. So he would sneak into the Olympic Village each day, collect food and sneak it home to his wife and his daughter in East Hollywood because they just had no money. He won the gold medal before 60,000 cheering spectators left the stadium and had to hitchhike home because he had no money. So this is how broke people were in the thing. For Brazil, things are like even tougher. So this is where we get to Brazil. So all these countries are really struggling to even get to yep. the games. Brazil is even tougher. They were bankrupt as a country. Brazil, they're usually good at managing their money. It's <laughs> like a very sensible economy. <laughs> don't spend it frivolously. <laughs> well, up until the Great Depression, they had been actually quite successful. So yeah. by 1932, when the Olympic Games rolled around and up from 1880 onwards up to about 932, yeah. Brazil's coffee industry had exploded. They counted for 80% of the world's coffee wow. So in 1932. Huge. And, and their major source of revenue. Massive, it? that and dairy. From 1880 to 1930, it was known as the Café Comlete period in Brazilian history, which is coffee with milk. So they were basically the dairy industry and the coffee industry right. were making them a lot okay. of money. It was very big. Sao Paulo coffee interests, they dominated the economy and the government. So they were where all the money came from, yeah. right? So, of course, the Great Depression hits and 
the world coffee prices just fall and the demand. So both price and demand fall. All their coffee contracts get cancelled. The wholesale price of Brazil's uh, coffee goes from 25 cents down to seven cents. That's a disaster. It's a disaster. They have way too much coffee. So they have so yeah. much coffee that the price can't really go back up because Just there's no scarcity. Or store yeah. it. So the president, uh, Guaitlito Vargas, he creates the National Coffee Council and their whole job is just buying the coffee crop. Right. And they dispose of the coffee through barter. So they do a deal with the United States in 931 for wheat. They just swap wheat okay, for coffee. Yeah, yeah. With, they do another deal in 932 with Germany for coal. So they're just figuring out how the ways, but they're literally down to a barter system. What can we get for the coffee? They destroy millions of bags of coffee, right, by burning or dumping them into the sea. Jeez. The plan to do this lasted until 1944, and they destroyed 78 million sacks of coffee, right. which is equivalent to the world's consumption for three years in this period, right? So this is just a terrible problem, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's coffee everywhere. And they go, we have no money. Fish are up late. <laughs> <laughs> the jittery. The shark is highly caffeinated. Yeah. Twitchy. <laughs> they're trying to figure out how we get our team to the Olympics. And they'd sent their athletes to the Paris 924. In 928, they hadn't got to Amsterdam. So that, that was the one they'd missed. And they were sort of like, we can't miss again. How do we do it? We, and the government's like, we don't have the money. Can we trade coffee for a steamer passage? <laughs> well, the government official has an idea. What if we load up a ship with 55,000 bags of coffee <laughs> and have the Olympic team serve yes. as crew and they have to sell the coffee at ports stopping along the way from Rio to LA to fund the entire trip? This is a list. So they've got to become coffee sales. You've got to work your passage. Yeah. Even you though work. you're a prime athlete, yep. you've got a, a ship full of coffee and you've got to sell that sell coffee it. en route to pay. Yeah. So they're going to leave from Rio, go up that east coast of South America, then they've got to go through the Panama Canal, which yeah. is quite new at this sure. point, and then up the west coast of America to LA, all the way stopping at ports to sell coffee. To sell coffee. This is the plan. Coffee plantation owners and coffee growers agree to this demand. They decide, all right, we'll, we'll give you some of this excess coffee stuff. so you can have it. They chart a merchant steamer <laughs> called the SS Itaquis to transport the players to the Olympics, right? Oh. They announce that they're going to do this. In May 931, they telegram the American ambassador in Rio de Janeiro and say, we're coming to LA and we're going to do it by selling coffee. And so this sort of becomes a news story, right? Like wow. this is the unique way they're getting it. What about there. cocaine? If they, isn't there loads of that in Brazil? I, I think it's they, before this all happened. got there a lot quicker <laughs> with more money? I tell you what, I think they'd have... have lived in a penthouse. I think it would be easier to sell cocaine than it was That's coffee. That's what I mean. So the Itaquis is ready to leave Rio de Janeiro on June 25th, 932. Onto the ship they put... 69 members of the Brazilian team, 68 men and one woman, who's a 17-year-old swimmer, Maria Lenk, who goes on to be quite a legend of swimming yep. in uh, Brazil. Brazil. They put on a 50-piece national Brazilian marine band. Hang on a second. If you can only afford 69 <laughs> athletes, you can't have a 50-piece band. <laughs> they put the band on. What are they for? part of the ceremony of when they get there and everything. It's totally built bonkers. Nine officials are there, 13 members of the press, 270 other passengers are on board who are 
paying passengers to go on it. Do they have to sell coffee? They don't have to. And 55,000 bags of coffee. All the athletes are giving a quota of how much coffee they need to sell to fund their trip. The entire route's going to last a month, right? So it's a long thing. And it's going to go longer because they're going to stop at all these ports to sell coffee. So they don't miss a port. They stop at every single port there is, right? Pull in. Who wants to buy some coffee? Would you like some coffee? How are they training, by the way? They're training on the decks and stuff like that, but not well. It's not It's not ideal preparation for the Olympics, right? All right. It's 7,197 nautical miles, which is about 8,000 land miles. Yep. Um, it's longer than any time they've ever had to travel before to get to the Olympics. So they set out and they stop at all the Brazilian ports north of Rio going up the east coast of South America. No one wants coffee. <laughs> You know why? Because there's loads of it lying around. <laughs> it's like selling coal to Newcastle. Yeah. I always pull in and ask these Brazilians if they want some coffee. Yeah, well, no, because like, there's coffee a silo everywhere. Out the back. Yeah, there's more. We got it's more coffee. coffee. We're literally dumping coffee into the sea. We would like anything but coffee. <laughs> what else do you have? <laughs> We're dumping coffee into the sea, and then a boat comes across the sea to go. Do you want hey, more coffee? Do you want some coffee? <laughs> So they finally arrive on July 6th at their first foreign port. Oh, here's a chance. So here's a chance. The port of Spain in Trinidad. And this is their big hope to start to raise some money. There'd been 12 days they'd been since they'd set out. The athletes go ashore to exercise and they discover, though, that the island's population is incredibly small, incredibly poor. Like there's no one there. They manage to not sell a single bean of coffee. (laughs) This is the worst plan ever. <laughs> so they've been at sea 12 days. They've sold at a bunch of ports. They've sold no coffee whatsoever. Wow. And the next stop's the Panama Canal. And they arrive at the Panama Canal with their holds completely full of coffee. They, they haven't need sold to, anything. They, they need to shift some coffee in the Panama Canal. Well, this causes them a huge problem, right? Because Why? they get to the Panama Canal. And to use the canal, you have to pay a transit fee, right? You have to. That's how it's funded. You have to pay a every ton time. A of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> One ton of coffee. They have their final offer. Yeah, that's right. So it's like, do you take? Do, would you take coffee? <laughs> do you take coffee? Now the problem is they can't afford the transit fee. They haven't sold any coffee. They don't have the money to go through so they the, can't use the canal, canal right? Oh, but the Brazilians are clever and they've thought of this. There is a rule of the Panama Canal that warships get to go through for free. So if you're a warship, you get to go through for free. So before this merchant steamer, the Itaquis, had set sail, the Brazilians had thought to disguise it as a warship. <laughs> now, it's not a warship. It's a, like a merchant steamer. It doesn't look anything like a well, warship. How have they disguised it? They put a flag of a warship on top of it. <laughs> it's a bit like putting on a baseball cap to try and convince people you're a baseballer. Like, it's not really. They then put two fake cannons on the deck. They didn't work. They were they just stuck two on the front and they highlighted on the manifest all the military. Right. So anyone who'd been in the military as it, who the athletes, they put their full like sergeant whatever or whatever on it, right? And they wrote the Brazilian delegation to the 10th Olympiad on the side as well to try and get some goodwill through that, right? Well, is it a warship or is it going to the Olympics? Well, that's right. They've gone to the top and they think, well, this will mean we don't have to pay. Check out our 55 tonnes of gunpowder. That <laughs> oh, looks like coffee to me. So the Panamanian inspectors come on board the ship and they notice that the cannons are just purely decorative <laughs> and that the holds are just full of coffee. And they go, no, nah. no. Nah. They laugh and just go, 
Sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. This is not a warship. You know, we know what a warship is. You're going by the Cape. <laughs> nice try. So the captain of the ship in panic radios back to Brazil and says, we can't get through the canal. They agree <laughs> to send them some money. Okay. And so the ship has to wait offshore for four days <laughs> for the money to come out of Brazil, nice. right? Finally, it arrives and they're allowed to go through. They're only the second Brazilian ship that's ever actually gone through the canal. That's how new it is. Mm-hmm. At the Pacific side of Balboa, when they come out the yes. other side, they get a day where they rest, try and sell some coffee. The Brazilian water polo team get a scratch match against some guys from the canal zone who decide to pull together a bit of a team. They win 20 nil. And then they head off for their final journey to Los Angeles, stopping up ports along the way, sort of up past have the they, have they parts of Mexico. Once again, they sell no coffee <laughs> or very little. Yeah. So finally they arrive in LA, July 22nd. They've managed to raise on this entire trip $24. But their water polo team won a scratch match, which is Pretty impressive. Pretty impressive stuff. So they've they've raised twenty four dollars. Still like laid down with. All they've coffee. still got heaps of coffee, right? More coffee than you could ever want. Now they find out pretty quickly when they arrive in LA and they pull up at the port that there's a tax to enter the United States. Oh, good lord, which is a dollar per person. So that's about seventeen dollars fifty in today's terms, yeah. right? But at times a dollar. They work out that that means they can only afford to put twenty four athletes. Off the boat. No. It's like Sophie's <laughs> choice now. So they pick the ones they think are most likely to win. To win gold. Gold. So, so they or medals. Best, yeah. So they best 24. Like, that means there's 45 teammates still on the ship. Over the next few days, they managed to sell 22,000 bags of coffee. It's the largest amount of coffee unloaded in one day at the port ever. Brilliant. So that's not bad. But the thing is, a lot of it they're exchanging for wheat and other things because. People are bartering. They're not giving cash easily because it's the depression. Yeah. This enables them to get some more off the ship though. There's a few more athletes. Well, we get to the point where there's about 20 left on the ship Mm. of their athletes out of the 69 that started. 20 20 are still on the ship. But half the coffee's still on the ship. hasn't been sold. They think, how do we get this last 20 off? So they contact the Brazil consul in San Francisco and they go – have you got some money? And the consul says, yeah, I've got money and I'll get a courier to send you the money. Great. But then the problem is before the money arrives, the Brazilian currency gets devalued <laughs> and suddenly the money is basically worthless. Oh, no. So they think, well, what we'll do is we'll call back home and get them to send sure. the money to get these last 20 off the thing. Back in Brazil, civil war has broken out. <laughs> the state of Sao Paulo, who is home sure. of the coffee, that's rebelled against the president's government. Yeah. And so this meant it was known as the Constitutional Revolution and this was known that there was no one really at home to be focused on sending money sending to a money. bunch of athletes in LA, like, <laughs> or like whatever. So they decide with the 20 still on the um, ship that what they'll do is they'll set up sale mm. up to San Francisco and Portland and try and sell the rest of the coffee and offload a few of these athletes. How far away are we from the games? The games are just like days away. Days away. Right, like within days. So they head up to the Pacific Northwest thinking, I hope they like coffee. Now, they're doing better than some of the Cuban teams. They had shown up in Galveston, Texas, and their plan was to sell sugar to fund their athletes. 
And they were told when they got there that sugar prices were so low it wouldn't even cover their travel expenses, let alone get them into the country, and they were forced to turn around and go home. Well, if they should collaborate <laughs> with the Brazilian, Brazilian yeah. you'd have a coffee with yeah. one, <laughs> white, if they'd bought their milk, yeah. with some sugar, speak to the Cubans. <laughs> Make yourself a cuppa. So meanwhile, while this is all happening, they've set off for San Francisco. This is With the 20 shit. Like, yeah, it's amazing. Like, it's just so, it's the worst idea ever. So they're going up the coast. To they're going up the coast. The other Brazilians, they march into the Olympic Stadium as part of the Parade of Nations at the start of the Olympics okay, opening yep. ceremony. So it's kicked off and it's opened by the Vice President Charles Curtis because President Hoover doesn't go to the Olympics because he's campaigning for the election. Sure. And the Brazilians start playing and they don't go unnoticed. In a first round water polo match against Germany, they keep being fouled. This is the water polo team. They keep getting called for foul after foul by the referee. They get so annoyed at the end of the match they lose 7-3 in favour of Germany. The Brazilians joined hands and gave a cheer for the winning team, for the Germans, then swam over to the judges' stand, surrounded him and started throwing haymakers at him <laughs> as spectators ran out of the stand to save the umpire. Wow. And because they'd had the warm-up. They'd had the warm-up. too with the Panama Camel. They should have been Jerry Ripe. The umpire says that the Brazilians had no idea how to play water polo and no idea of the rules and that's why they kept getting fouled. And yet they were allowed in and there were 20 exactly. who were deemed not worthy of going in. Um, so a bunch of others all start competing in the various track and field competitions and everything and it's going not well. They're not winning any particular medals or anything. Meanwhile, the ship arrives. The Olympics are still on. The yeah. ship arrives in San Francisco with the remaining athletes and they manage to offload some of the athletes in San Francisco because right. they can sell some coffee and get them in. But they're 400 miles from the games, right? San Francisco to LA, right? It's not close. Right. 15 of the athletes never make it off the ship. That's the final count? That's the final count. Also turns out when they arrive in San Francisco that the Brazilians had forgotten to pay a $600 dockage charge in Los Angeles before they left. And so the custom brokers, Swain and Hoyt Limited, who had unloaded the coffee, filed a suit against <laughs> in the US District Court in San Francisco, which means that the ship is not allowed to leave San Francisco. It's impounded. It's impounded until they work out their legal difficulties. So they're stuck there with 800 bags of coffee and they can't go to Portland. They're just stuck in San Francisco. Okay. One athlete who's on the ship in San Francisco was Adalberto Cardoso, who's a long-distance runner. Yes. He's furious at not being in the competition. So he manages to flee the ship one night, yes, make so it to shore in San Francisco, and he works out he's got 24 hours to travel the 400 miles or the 600 kilometres from San Francisco to LA to make the start of his race. So he's illegally entered the United States. Yeah, he snuck America. in. He did this all by not sleeping all night and he hitchhikes all night from San Francisco to LA and eats only fruit on the whole trip because that's all he can get. Yes. He arrives at the Olympic Stadium four minutes before the start of the 10,000-metre run, no. which is his in, and he makes it to the starting line with seconds to spare. It's a hot day, so a bunch of runners are pulled out. There's only seven left, including him. Only time to put on his uniform and had no shoes. <laughs> so he's running barefoot yeah. in 10,000. Very early on, he's two laps behind the first place runner who was already about to finish the race. He crashes and falls over because he's exhausted, right? Like he's been on a ship for a month. He's exhausted. Brazilian officials are on the side of the track yelling at him to stop and that he was embarrassing his nation. 
He continues the race and falls twice more, which technically would disqualify you in one of I these races. So, yeah. But he doesn't stop. He gets up and he finishes the race exhausted. And while he's running the last lap, the announcer has been told of his journey overnight and how he's got yeah. there and tells the story to the crowd over the loudspeaker. Yep. The crowd all get behind him. Oh, they say now something for the Brazilian. They also, and they start calling him an Iron Man and he has huge applause. And he ends up winning the IOC honorary medal because this is seen as like so he sort of Finally, rescues the whole Brazilian. Yeah, he, and now and the officials are going, "Good on you, you're a hero." Yeah, yeah. Not, so he sort of rescues the whole nation. We've all been told that once in our career. Hell yeah. Finally, it gets to the point where the Olympics come to a conclusion, and the Brazilians are tied with Uruguay for the fewest points because at this point they give points as well as medals. Yeah. They didn't win any medals, but they had four points for finishing fourth a few times and stuff. They did not won a single medal at all. Will Rogers, who was a rider for the Kansas City Star, said, poor Brazil, they had come up here on a coffee boat and after they'd been out a couple of weeks, the government changed hands and the new government was trying to find out where the boat was. The athletes <laughs> didn't know what the government or country they were representing. So it was all a mess, right? Meanwhile, up in San Francisco, they finally sort out their legal yes. issues and the boat's allowed to return to Los Angeles just after the closing ceremonies. Right. They plan to leave on August 16th, but more financial troubles delayed their departure. Does. Finally, on August 19th, they leave for Rio de Janeiro, heading home after all of this. Finally, they'd managed to offload all the coffee. A lot of it they'd exchange for California produce, so they didn't sell it all, but they, like, they swapped it for all these sort of like agricultural products. They get back to Rio de Janeiro, is this a hero's welcome? Most people don't know because the civil war is going on. <laughs> they get off, some of them. But for some athletes, because Sao Paulo was in open rebellion against the yes. federal government, they can't get off the ship in Rio because they're citizens of Sao Paulo and it's technically a rebel province and they, and they can't get to Sao Paulo from Rio de Janeiro. It's very dangerous for anyone from Sao Paulo in yeah. Rio. So they can't get off the boat. So they're stuck on the ship waiting. They work out that they can transfer onto a freighter that takes them to another part of Brazil. It's an eight-hour journey. They get dropped off. Then they have to hike for eight hours up a mountain. They find a small hut this is a disaster. to shelter in. And then they take a truck ride in the back of a truck for 117 kilometers. From there, they get onto a train. The train is delayed by combat between the two rebel forces and the government. Wow. And finally, they have to sell coffee on the train. <laughs> and finally, they reach Sao Paulo about a week after they'd landed in yes. Rio de Janeiro. And finally, the journey of the 1932 Brazilian Olympic team is actually over. A fiasco <laughs> on but every that level. Should be, why did the Olympic Committee or anything never reach out and go? No one had any effort, money. You're on here. Can we just help you out? No one had any money, and they were all in this situation. They were all broke. When nations were going bankrupt. Bankrupt. There was no too bigs to fail then, was it? <laughs> you were on your own. Yeah. They offloaded all the coffee? They finally offloaded it all, but not selling it, mostly just trading and bartering. It's a bit like the mate who never has enough money. There's just always <laughs> little problems like, I'll catch you next week on that. And I'm good for it. <laughs> when we get home on the return trip, trust me, I've sent you that. Do but you what? like coffee? Because uh, I... <laughs> I'll uh, 
never drink a coffee again without <laughs> thinking of the Brazilian Olympic team from 1932. Thank you, Titus O'Reilly. Bizarre Plus is our members program that gives you extra content every single week. If you're interested, just follow the link in the show notes.